We gather to hear uh, from our Lord speaking to us from his word. And so I invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation, the final book of the Bible, chapter 1. You should find that if you're using one of the Bibles here on page 1028. Just to give some introductory uh, comments here before reading and praying. Uh, The book of Revelation, as many of you know, is filled with a number of uh, strange, uh, bizarre, uh, shocking imagery. And uh, it's often led to a lot of confusion regarding this book. But in many ways, the reason that this, this book is, is in the Bible for us and is useful for us is because these images and these pictures that are given to us are meant to shock us. They're meant to shock us to the reality of who Jesus Christ is because so often we, we can become numb to those spiritual realities. This past week I was at the dentist, and I'm sure many of you have been at the dentist uh, maybe recently, maybe you need to go, I don't know. Um, but one thing that you're at the dentist, right, um, before they begin the drilling, before they begin all of that, they give you a shot of Novocaine, right, to numb your mouth. Well, in many ways, the world kind of has their own kind of Novocaine that it pumps into the church, pumps into the people of God, by which we become numb to the realities that God has made known to us in Scripture. So again, uh, the book of Revelation is meant to shock us out of those uh, numbness, out of that numbness to then be made alive and cognizant and understanding of um, these realities that God has made known. And so even in Revelation chapter 1, as we read, uh, this, 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 this shocking, surprising image and picture of who Jesus Christ is, we keep in mind that this is not what he looks like, but it is what he is, it's what he is like. Not what he looks like, but it's what Jesus Christ is like. And what he's depicted here as the one who's been raised from the dead to be our priest and our king who will judge the world. So that's what we have find here in Revelation chapter 1. Before we read, let's go before our God in prayer. Let's pray. Our gracious God and our heavenly Father, Lord, we know that faith comes by hearing, and hearing the word of Christ. And so we ask that Christ would speak to us even this day, confirming and strengthening our faith and creating it where it is not, by his power and by his spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Revelation chapter 1, we'll read verses 9 through 18. This is the holy and inspired word of God. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands was one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, 
and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. So far from God's holy word. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, this awesome picture here, this fearsome picture here that we have of the risen Lord Jesus Christ that the Apostle John conveys to us is a staggering and shocking reality. Again, this is not what Jesus Christ looks like, but it is what he is like. He is one who, as he describes himself and interprets himself, is one who is the first and the last, one who is the Alpha and the Omega, one who died but is now alive forevermore, one who holds in his hands the keys, meaning he has authority and power over them, even over death and Hades. So the, the, the imagery as we look at this picture of Jesus, risen, Jesus interprets that for us to describe who he is. And even maybe more staggering than that is that this awesome picture of who Jesus is, this, this, this picture that's meant to shock us to the reality of his power, of his greatness, of his authority, all of that undergirds that simple two-word exhortation to the church that's given here. Right, right, this staggering picture undergirds these, this simple two-word exhortation that is given to the churches then and to us today, fear not. And that's the staggering reality of it, is that, is that you have this, this, this mountain of truth of who Jesus Christ is, and at the very tip of that iceberg, it comes that exhortation to you today, fear not. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, as we're going to see, makes a people that are hopeful for the future and a people who are fearless in the present. That's what the resurrection power of Jesus Christ looks like as it's at work in the people of God today and for those who have come to know him. Heidelberg Catechism asks this question, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And maybe you want to answer that question silently to yourself. What is your only comfort in life and in death. You might have comforts in life, but think about comforts that might bring you, even give you comfort uh, in death itself. And the Christian church has answered for some hundreds of years now that my only comfort in life and in death is that I am not my own. I'm not my own. I don't belong to myself. I am not the keeper of, my, of myself. I am not the Lord of my soul, the master of my fate. I am not my own, but I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to the one we just read about here, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who is alive forevermore. And if you can confess that, then you too can, can receive John's exhortation, fear not. Now you might say, well, isn't that a little bit of overkill? Um, all of this truth regarding who Jesus Christ is, just to tell the church, fear not. Well, maybe sitting here it sounds like overkill, but maybe you know, you're lying in bed at night and fear just grips you. 
I've experienced that. I'm sure some of you have experienced that as well. It's usually at night, right? You're lying down, and it's just like, why? All these thoughts are running through your mind. Life becomes just this, 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 this labyrinth, and you're like, what, what is going on? And, or, or there's upcoming events, or there's things that are uns- we're uncertain about, right? And fear just grabs hold of us. Would you say that this picture of who Christ is is overkill then? I don't think so. I think this is the strong Savior that we need. This is the one we need to look for. And in those moments, right, we're to, we're to turn our attention away from ourselves and our own weakness and look to the one whom John saw and the one whom John now puts before us to look to as well. One who is the first and the last. One who is the Alpha and the Omega. One who died but now is alive forevermore. And one who holds in his hands the keys of death and Hades. And so as we have this time to consider uh, this passage, we can't draw everything out. If you have questions afterwards, feel free to come up to me and ask, and we can discuss them. Uh, But there's two main ideas that I want us to focus on. First, our fearsome king, and then his fearless people. Our Our fearsome king, and then our fearless people. And again, this is important to begin with our first point, our fearsome king, because if we are to heed Paul's exhortation to fear not in the midst of this world that gives us every reason to fear, we first must take our eyes off of ourselves and off of the world around us and put them squarely upon Jesus Christ, the risen and reigning Lord of heaven. And so that's what we do in our first point, our fearsome king. And so we get this picture of who Jesus Christ is. And we'll kind of walk through it very briefly here. But notice in verse 13, right, where it says that he saw one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. So so the Apostle John sees one who is like a Son of Man. And before diving into the further description here, we might ask the question, well, what has qualified this one like a son of man, whom we know as Jesus Christ, what qualifies him as such? What qualifies Jesus Christ to be who he said he is, the first and the last, the one who holds uh, the keys of death and Hades, uh, the one whose eyes are like flames of fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze, whose voice is like the, the roaring of many seas. What qualifies Jesus Christ to be such? If we were to look at the gospel accounts of Jesus' life, um, I was listening to a sermon by Sinclair Ferguson on this very passage here, and he had made this, this note that when you look at the gospel accounts of Jesus Christ, no depiction is given of him. We're not told what he looks like at all in those Gospels. Now, I was listening to it with my wife, Susanna, and she protested and said, but earlier in Isaiah 53, we're told that he's you know, not somebody that we would admire or look upon uh, as a comely person. And so maybe she's correct here. I think she might be. Um, but right in the Gospel account specifically, we get no description of who Jesus Christ is or what he, what he looks like, rather. Uh, But here instead, um, now as one who has risen, one who is reigning in heaven, one who has now gone out of our visible sight, John describes to us, again, in symbolic language. And the question becomes, what qualifies him to be such? And what qualifies him, according to John and elsewhere in the New Testament, is that he has been raised from the dead. 
the resurrection of Jesus Christ results in him being such as appears here, the first and the last, the one who holds the keys of death and Hades. The resurrection of Jesus Christ undergirds all of, the, of that John sees. And it undergirds everything that who Christ is for us even today. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is that bedrock foundation of the identity of who Jesus Christ is. And we see this at least in two ways. The first, John tells us in verse 10 um, of the, 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 the day of the week that it was when he receives this vision, right? In verse 10, he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. An interesting phrase, interesting um, term that, Paul, uh, that John uses, right? The Lord's day. And the reason it's called the Lord's day because it was the day of Christ's resurrection. It was the first day of the week. And his resurrection brought him into possession of a day. It is the Lord's day. It's the day belonging to the Lord. It's the day that the church has continued to gather every Sunday, to worship the risen Lord, to gather and celebrate and remember that Christ arose from the dead. And so the first hint that Paul is telling us that the resurrection is the bedrock foundation of who Jesus Christ is today for us is the fact that this vision was given to him on the Lord's day, the day of resurrection, even this day. Every Sunday as we gather, we gather on the Lord's day to give him the honor and the glory that is due his name. So that's the first hint. The second one, the reason that we would understand the resurrection as the bedrock to Jesus' identity today, is that it's explicitly stated to us um, in uh, verses uh, 17 and 18. Rather, verse 18. There Jesus Christ himself says to John and through John to us, he says, I died. A statement of fact that Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, came to earth, took on our flesh, and humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. He says, I died. Now, it would be odd if any of us said that, because we would say, no, you're lying. Um, (laughs) You're standing right here. You're not dead. But the fact that the one who speaks can say that he died means also, as he goes on to say, and behold... I am alive forevermore. The bonds of death, the grip of death was burst, bursted when Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. Jesus Christ is that risen Lord whom death could not contain. The cords of death snapped. The bars of death broke. Jesus Christ could not be held down by them. And therefore, He stands today and lives today as the one who has authority over death itself. I have the keys of death and Hades. That's what Jesus is telling you today. He's telling you that he holds the keys of death and Hades and his resurrection is proof of that reality. He is the one who opens and closes. He unlocks and he locks. He is the one who is the sovereign Lord over death itself. Death is no enemy. Well, it is an enemy, but it's no uh, victorious enemy before Christ. It's a defeated foe, and it's one whom Christ stands over in victory. 
He holds the keys of death and Hades. And this, again, is what is, what is undergirding all that he is now for the church. He is risen. And our Lord is risen. And he is the one who's then going to call us to fear not. But still, we want to focus on this fearsome king. And so undergirding all that's the resurrection. Now let's walk through some of this description that we are given. Verse 12 says that he's clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The picture here is one of a priest, even a high priest. One who comes and makes satisfaction for the sins of the people that he might um, bring them to God. Right? The prophet, you know the prophet in the Old Testament was God's mouthpiece. God spoke and he brought his message to the people. The priest was one who represented the people bearing their names on his heart and going into heaven, going before God to represent them and bring them to God. Right, so undergirding the fact that Jesus Christ is the one who brings us safely back to God, to have fellowship with him, to know him, undergirding all of that, again, is his resurrection. He is our great high priest. And he's opened up that living way, that new way, into the presence of God as our great high priest, not with the sacrifice of bulls and goats on this earth, but with the sacrifice as we heard about on Good Friday, the sacrifice of his own blood. His life was poured out that he might then be raised again and stand as our great high priest who brings us to God. So he's a priest. Notice also verse 14 says that the hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. The imagery here is drawn from uh, the Old Testament, the book of Daniel. And the Ancient of Days, who is the Father, is there pictured as one with white hair. And so even here, Jesus is shown to have the very attributes of God himself. He's shown to possess the purity, the holiness, the wisdom of the omniscience of God himself, who stands and sits as as judge over all the earth. Jesus Christ is identified here as truly God, a, a marvelous picture. Furthermore, his eyes are like a flame of fire, piercing through, seeing through, burning away. All that would conceal the truth from him, he sees perfectly. He sees into the hearts of man. He sees into your heart. Nothing is hidden from his sight. His feet are like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace uh, to enact judgment. Uh, to act and, and, and to speak and to, and to, and to do with, with power and strength to carry out his, his will. His voice, even as John hears it, right, his voice was like the roar of many waters. You stood by the ocean, stood by Niagara Falls, right? You hear it's so loud, it's so booming, so powerful. The voice of the Lord says, in his right hand are held seven stars. I mean, imagine one who can reach into the, into, the, into the sky and grab stars into his hand and play with them like some of the children might play with, with a ball or something, right? Christ plays with stars the way you play with a bouncy ball. This is the power and the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ. He holds them in his hand. He is that cosmic authority over everything, the power that sustains the very earth that we find ourselves upon, the very breath in our lungs, he sustains all of it. 
This is the one whom we look to, the one risen from the dead. From his mouth, it says, came a a two-edged sharp sword. Again, a word of judgment, a piercing word that comes from his mouth. And his face was shining um, like the sun in full strength. The brightness, the light of him, the glory that he possesses, a glory that eclipses the sun in midday. And it's a, it's a marvelous picture later in the book of Revelation. We read about the new heavens and the new earth, right? Where it says that there is no sun because the Lamb is its light. Think about how much brighter that will be. It won't be like this, what we see today. It'll be brighter because the Lamb's glory, his face shines greater than the sun in full strength. And so again, this picture is not what Jesus looks like. If you were to see him today, you would not see this with flaming eyes and, and burnished bronze feet. But it's what he is like. Again, it's reflecting his power, his authority, that he is our great priest. And he is our king who wages war for us, who protects us, and who leads us into victory and into life. This is what Jesus Christ is for you and for us as his people. This picture, again, is is interpreted in the fact, and I keep repeating these phrases, but we need to have them drilled into our minds to know this in the midst of this world that would often cause us to fear, to know that this is who Jesus Christ is, the first and the last, the living one. He died, and behold, he is alive forevermore, and he has the keys of death and Hades. That is who Jesus is. And so, if we are to be fearless people for him in this world, then first and foremost, as we've been doing, we need to turn our eyes away from ourselves and stand in awe before him as our fearsome king, as our great high priest. But we said earlier, right, my only comfort in life and in death is that I'm not my own, but I, but I belong to him. I belong to him. And so should I fear him? You know, should I tremble before him? How, how then do I relate to one of such greatness and of such power? Well, we have no reason to fear, no reason to tremble before him. There's a phrase um, in the Belgic Confession, um, you can read it for yourself, Article 26, where it says this, Jesus Christ ought not to terrify us by his greatness, but to comfort us, right? Not to terrify us by his greatness, so that we end up looking for another one, according to our own fancy, another mediator, another savior, another one whom we would might belong to. And notice these words, my favorite words uh, in the Belgic Confession. For neither in heaven nor among the creatures on earth is there anyone who loves you more than Jesus Christ. The one we've just read about of such great power, such great strength, who plays with stars in his hands like our children play with bouncy balls. That, that one, that great king, that great priest, loves me more than anyone else, whether in heaven or on earth, and there's nowhere else you can look. (laughs) That is the one whom we are then to look to. It's why when we look to this powerful, strong king, we find great comfort and we can heed his call to fear not. Fear not. 
I'm reminded of John chapter 20, uh, the day of Jesus' resurrection. Mary Magdalene, among others, had gone to Jesus' tomb uh, only to find it empty, only to find the stone rolled away. And Mary begins to weep. And she weeps because they think and she believes that they have taken away her Lord. And others are there, but others depart while Mary remains. Mary remains there. And it's uh, Gerhardus Voss in his wonderful sermon. I think it's called Rabboni. You can look it up as well. Um, he says that Mary here is, is, provides a kind of mirror of true faith. Right? Mary could not leave the tomb. She had to remain. Why? Because one, she knew the love that Jesus Christ had and showed to his people. And she was drawn to that. And she, in response, loved him as her savior. A mirror of true faith that while others left because they had other expectations regarding Jesus, Mary remained because it was Christ himself whom she desired to be with. And Voss goes on to explain how, how Mary remaining there, though she wasn't fully conscious of the fact, she, she was testifying to the reality that death could not separate her from him or, her, or him from her. That, that even that faith itself uh, goes, is stronger than death itself. The bond that she knew with her Savior was stronger than that, that death could not break it. And then... Confusing him to be the gardener, she's told and she's spoken these very tender words from the one we read about in Revelation. He just simply says her name, Mary. And she knows in an instant that this is her Savior, this is her Lord. And to each of us who have come to know Christ, right, he speaks that tender word, our names by which he calls us to himself. I am not my own, but I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He is powerful. He is strong. He plays with stars in his hands. His eyes are like flame of fire. His feet like burnished bronze. His voice like the sound of many waters. And he loves me. And he cares for me. That's the message of Easter. That's the resurrection message. One so powerful, one so strong, who has the authority over death itself, cares for me. He cares for you. And if you are outside of Christ, he says, look to me, come to me, and I will give you rest. How do I come to him? By faith, believing what he says, believing that he died for me, believing that he is alive again, and believing that he is coming again for his people. This is our fearsome king who loves us. And he loves us more than anyone else, whether in heaven or on earth. And so now that we've looked to him, his exhortation comes to us and says, fear not. Now in many ways, right, the, the pieces kind of just fall into place. What would there be to fear if I belonged to him? If he loves me, what is there to fear in this life? I mean, death itself is conquered. It's overcome. It's defeated. He, he has the authority over it. I mean, isn't that the worst I could probably experience in this life? Going to the grave? Even that, the sting of it has been gone. 
And this is what God's people have experienced, what Paul experienced in 1 Corinthians 15. It's on the basis of who Christ is and who Christ is for Paul and for us. Paul can say, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Right? He taunts death. What a statement in the midst of a world that can't even look death in the face. Always distracting itself from it. Always looking away from it. Always trying to preserve life. Always trying to avoid it. In the midst of a world in which the fastest growing cult is the cult of safetyism, right? A day in which we fear everything. We look to the one who holds the keys of death and Hades and we do not grow afraid. Instead, we stand trusting and knowing and bearing witness to resurrection power by our fearlessness. By those who do not idolize safety, but idolize, in a sense, glorifying Christ. Whatever risk that may, that may take and may bring to my life. Bearing witness to who he is. Bearing witness before this world. Living for him and for his glory. That is, what, that is a testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because it says, no matter how the world responds, no matter the consequences of my actions on behalf of Christ... I know that I am safe with him. And even if it brings me to death itself, he will bring me safely through. It's a testimony of many martyrs throughout the years. Early in the early church, as, the, as, as Christians were brought before flames, before lions, torn to pieces, burned to a crisp, they testify to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All of them. And Christians, even as they go to death. If you've ever been able to be with a, a Christian, and we have a younger congregation here, and it's not a place you want to be in, but it's a, a place of surprising grace and, and comfort. If you've ever been um, with a saint, someone who has followed Christ for a long time, and they're approaching death, and you're with them in the hospital, and there's a peace and a comfort about them that is otherworldly. doesn't belong to this world because That peace comes from Christ, from the one who holds the keys of death and Hades. That's the kind of comfort, that's the kind of peace that only Christ offers and nothing in this world can bring uh, to you. It's this kind of resurrection power that three Hebrew boys in a foreign nation before a powerful king refuse to bow down to the idol and instead to have their bodies thrown into a fiery furnace. That's resurrection power. And even through that, Christ seeing them safely through and bringing them safely through the flames. Resurrection power is Esther, a woman of great faith, going before the king, though it may cost her her life. That's resurrection power. And I think we as the church can very easily confess the resurrection with our lips But our lives, in many ways, can functionally deny it. We're afraid of things. We're afraid of opposition. We're afraid of persecution. We're afraid of trials. And given those things are fearsome, it's not to downplay them, but your Savior, your King, the one who loves you more than anyone else, is greater still. And so let us not merely confess the resurrection with our lips. Let us live it out in our lives, saying, That though this body may break, 
and the world may break it. Christ himself will see me safely through. Christ himself will raise this body when he comes again unto everlasting life. Fear not. Fear not. The resurrection of Jesus Christ makes us a fearless people. So we too, like Paul, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, like Esther, and like many saints of old, we too can defy death itself. We can defy its orders. We can defy its power. Say, where is your sting? Where is your victory? I belong to Christ. He is mine. I am his. Um, a few years ago, and maybe um, you've seen a kind of gravestone like this, but I remember I was walking with um, a friend, and we were uh, visiting this um, graveyard, which sounds odd, but it was connected to a church um, out in uh, California. And I remember walking through, and um, there was this one gravestone that really stood out uh, to me because of what was written on it. And on that gravestone was words of defiance against death itself, right? The body lays there in the grave. There's no doubting that. There's no questioning that. But written on the gravestone were these words, until the day break. Until. What a powerful word to think about with death. It's not permanent. It's not forever. Until. A change is coming. A transformation is coming. Until the day break. The day of Christ's return. And he raises his people to newness of life. To be with him forevermore. Again, right, the one whom we look to tells us to fear not. It's the one who loves us more than anyone. It's the one, like Mary Magdalene, like our hearts long for him. That death itself could not separate us or keep us from him. He comes back for us. And he delivers us and brings us into the new heavens and a new earth. In which his light, which is today hidden from our eyes, will be unveiled And that light will eclipse the sun. His glory will be that in which we will bask in forever and ever. It's in his presence we will find fullness of joy. At his right hand, pleasures forevermore. That is the path of life Christ has opened up by his death and his resurrection. That is who he is. And so look to him by faith. Trust him. And know that you belong to him, body and soul, in life and in death. And as you go out into this world, as you live for him and for his glory, fear not. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, what great comfort you give us in your word. A word uh, that uh, reveals to us the power and the greatness of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is today alive even alive forevermore, who is at your right hand and who bears our names on his heart, caring for us, interceding for us, guiding us by his word and spirit. And so, Father, as we look to this risen king, our great high priest, even this day, may you increase our faith that we might glorify him, fearless as his people in this world. And so bless us as a church to that end. And even this day, as your gospel goes forth and as the word of Christ is heard, May salvation come to those who may not know. May faith be worked and kindled by your spirit that that your people may be gathered to offer up that eternal praise to our great and glorious King, the one who is the first and the last, the one who died but is today alive forevermore 
and holds the, the keys of death and Hades to him. Uh, be all glory and honor, we pray in his name. Amen.